tough young guys, their sinewy bodies and teeny toes, challenge the rock. Challenging, Challenging death. death. Why do I climb the mountain? Why do I climb the mountain? Because I'm in love. That's the new header. <laughs> That's the new header. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to TallCast. This is a special episode of TallCast. A bonus episode, if you will. Season yeah. one bonus material. This stuff you would usually only get on the Deluxe Edition DVD. The Collector's Edition box set. But you just get to reap the rewards. Everyone gets the special the edition. Money. Yeah. And you don't even have to listen if you don't want to, and you won't feel bad about it. I should put a little header on the website that says special edition. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Yeah. So today we made an about section. There has always been an about section on the website, but today we filled it in. Oh, yeah. Feel free to check that out. It's... Don't describe it at all. Okay. You're giving way too much away. Spoilers. Okay. Uh, speaking of spoilers, today we're going to spoil an entire film... Don't worry, you don't need to watch it. Don't watch this movie. It's bad. It's Unless you want to laugh. Like, if you know physics even remotely, this movie would be funny to you. If you took a middle school geology class, if your middle school <laughs> science class at yeah. some point went over what the earth is made of, the various layers of the earth, then you know more than the writers of this movie. You know what I noticed in the movie, too, was the part where he was giving that demonstration. He was talking about, like, the outer crust, and then he was talking about the mantle. Mm -hmm. And then he started talking about the outer core. Mm -hmm. And he said something to the effect of, this is where it gets tricky. <laughs> and then just said that, he, he said something like, some of it is solid, some of it is liquid. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking... That's too tricky for this board of some of the smartest men <laughs> in the country to understand. These are men who've gone to college. Yeah. Probably have graduate degrees. And they can't understand the very basic fundamentals of Earth's composition. Yeah. It's funny, too, because some of the reactions of the people in the crowd were like, oh, yeah. yes, let oh, me take notes sense. on wow. that. <laughs> this, this Earth thing. <laughs> Wow. That is brand new information. Wait, the Earth is a sphere? All my maps are flat. We were talking about Game of Thrones earlier and how that world should be spherical and probably is. I'm hoping that the series ends. This is a big prediction slash hope. I'm hoping that the series ends with, instead of all the different families, you know, it coming to a head and one family or person actually living and everyone else dying. Because in the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. I hope that that's not actually the case. And that some of the characters at least just go pioneer new lands. And I yeah. uh, go in the spirit of Columbus, as it is Columbus Day. You don't want to do much in the spirit I of Columbus. I hope that they travel in the spirit oh, okay. of Columbus. Okay. And then when they get there, completely ignore the operate rest of the in a completely okay. separate fashion. Well, I don't know. They might go into that more in the later 
Yeah, yeah I, I hope that it turns into an adventure series. I've only watched the show, so I don't know if they go further than that. Well, this is a podcast about movies. Usually bad movies, not about good television. Movies that are interesting to talk about, at least. And I have to bring this up. My professor recently said, don't sit around and talk about bad movies, because anyone can do that. It's really easy to poke fun at bad movies because everyone can tell they're bad movies it, it doesn't take any kind of talent mm. you know what i say to that you're probably right yeah but yeah. it's fun it is more fun that way and sometimes we watch good movies we do so to provide a little bit of backstory zach and i are currently sitting in the first floor of his dorm at brown university in providence rhode island yes correct me where i'm wrong uh, and that's what makes this show so special is that zach and i have already come back to school so i this morning tried to catch a train to providence <laughs> from back bay station and instead i walked to yaki station in boston that's right next to bu yaki station in my head for the past year has been back bay station i have checked this on maps i was certain that this was back bay station and then i got there 10 minutes before the train was scheduled to leave and looked on my phone to find that Back Bay was a 35-minute walk from where I was, meaning I had missed my train. I then spent two hours in Back Bay, Boston, walking around. Yeah. And then I caught the train and came to Providence, Rhode Island to see my best friend, Zach. So now we're here in the lounge downstairs and the light keeps going off because we are not in the... Uh, the vision cone of the sensor does yeah. not include us. And there was actually a person who, like, opened the door. We closed the door earlier. And they opened the door and kind of looked in. And, and maybe heard us talking. Yeah, and turned all the lights on suddenly. So all the lights just flashed on. And they left. And then they left, and they, but they left the door open. So the door is currently yeah, slightly I mean, open. I mean, I don't know. We'll take our chances. I think we can take our chances. See what we did there? We built, we built up the story. No one knew where that was going to go. And then we decided... It's going nowhere. Going off the rails. Off the rails. Crazy train. Loose cannon. Robert Cannon, 30 Love. Loose cannon who doesn't follow the rules. So today we watched The Core. We were originally going to watch a different movie today. A Called much Vertigo. A much better movie. Considered by many to be the best film of all time. I've heard this. Which would make me a little sad if the best film of all time came out almost 60 years ago. 57 years ago. It came out in 1958. Okay. Wouldn't that make you a little sad? For if what in reason? 57 years we haven't made a film that was better than Vertigo, just the the best stuff is already made. It's hard to determine how good something is when it's really recent. You can't really put it into perspective. Modern film versus an older film. Right, and of course the modern film would be objectively better in many ways. Yeah. What I'm saying is that it's hard to get perspective when you are so close to it. Temporally. So we went to the theater and we knocked on the door, which was locked. Yeah. It's a nice theater. Which but... is not a great way to sell tickets. And we said, hey. And they said, hey, what can I do for you? I said, well, we'd like to see a movie. To which they said, the movie's almost over. And I said, well, then you can't help us. <laughs> what gives? The marquee of the theater had said that it was playing on Saturday and Sunday at like 1 and 10.30 or something. But it turns out what they meant was that it was playing on Saturday at 1 and 10.30 and Sunday at only 1. So we were not able to make the showing and had to resort to our fallback backup <laughs> plan, 
the second best of film the of the second time. best film of all time, the 2003 classic, The Core, starring Aaron Eckhart. Mm-hmm. Is it Eckhart? Two Face. Yeah, Two Face. Hilary Swank, two-time Academy Award winner, and Stanley Tucci, future Academy Award winner, and uh, Captain Pike from Star Trek: The Film. And then there were some other actors, of course. Yeah. Uh-oh. Most of them died. Well, like half of well, them died. We will get to that. We will get to that, yeah. So, the film starts, and uh, there's this really weird... <laughs> first of all, there's a terrible graphic intro, because it's 2003, oh, yeah. when people were thinking, hey, we're in a brave new world, we should start using CG all the time. Let's just use computers for every problem, no matter how well those computers can deal with that problem. So, the start of the film is... It's actually kind of cool because it starts on the Paramount logo. You know what? Okay, this is a quick note. Okay. I have a real beef with how movies start with the little graphic of whatever company financed it. Or multiple ones. Right. Usually it's multiple. Yeah. Almost always. Yeah. It's multiple. And then right after that, fade to black from the logos. And guess how it starts? They list the companies By again. renaming the companies yeah. who financed it. What that seems like to me is a, a system of insurance, right? Just in case this part is left off at some theaters, we'll still have it in the credits. I don't see why it would be left off, though. It never would. That's my point, is that the film, when you press play, starts with those graphics. So you shouldn't ever need to do that, and you never do. And if anyone important is listening to this, fix it. Or don't. It's up to you. The production company, whatever this this company that's funding this, they want... To have their big logo at the beginning, right? Because they put a lot of work into this logo and it's iconic and they want to make it iconic. So like 20th Century Fox does not want to pay for a movie where they don't have their logo at the beginning with spinning around, whatever. Right. right? But then why do they need to put it in the opening Because credits? they also want to be... Ha- associated with to be the director. Associated with the, the director and the writer. Okay. And they want to be in the film as well as presenting the film. Okay. I do think that that makes sense. It would play better if it didn't say... 20th Century Fox, and then right after that fades out, say, 20th Century Fox Presents. That's just redundant. Maybe after they say, you know, a film by whoever. I think I've seen them before where they reordered them. Like if they had multiple companies that had (laughs) They put them in different order. They put them in a different order, which is better, Mm. I guess. It's like you're studying for a test, and at the end of the movie they're going to ask you who presented it, so you do that double study method. Right. You know the double study method. Sure. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not sure what you're talking about. It's totally based in real life events. Okay. The double study method. It's like double stuffed Oreos? It's related, yeah. Okay. So the movie starts with the Paramount logo, and then the camera dives into the mountain. Oh, yeah. Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? The camera dives into the mountain and then just keeps going and goes all the way down to the core which is terribly animated (laughs) and it gets down into the core and it says the core and there's like a really bad score right right in the core we'll talk about the score (laughs) yeah and then and it starts spinning yeah so then it starts spinning and turning purple and it's like this just got weird and then they do this really lame like dissolve to the top of a carnival ride which is like this purple and white yeah. pattern which is spinning because it's like a merry-go-round or something what's really weird about that too for me was that they didn't center on the top of the merry-go-round ride it Correct. was offset they didn't correctly dissolve it was just didn't you just see this color spiral well there it is 
from a different angle. In, in the context of this in scene. In a different context. It, it was weird because it was like, you animated this. Yeah. You could have made it fit perfectly. From the start of the film, squandered opportunities. <laughs> what well, was that next scene, by the way? Because then it goes to this guy who is oh, not yeah. in the movie. <laughs> He's like an extra. It feels like they're introducing a main character and he's going in to like it, give it really a business does. presentation. He, he looks at his watch, which is showing a time. Which stopped. Yeah. And the watch has no brand. No brand! It obviously has a space missing where the watch brand would be. Yeah. Also, the watch has no numbers on it. It's just lines, which right. is fine. I have watches like that. All of my watches are like that. <laughs> but it's not a good technique for a film. Because when you look at a watch, it must be important what time it is. And you want your whole audience to be able to know immediately That's what time it is. That's a lot easier when you don't have to count how many notches from one of the corner points, or the four points of a watch that you know. That's why digital clocks are actually just really good to yeah. focus on. Well, this guy's like... a businessman. He couldn't have a digital oh, watch. Oh, right, of course. <laughs> really, this seems like he's a main character in the movie. Like, mm -hmm. probably the protagonist. But his face is unrecognizable, so he's no one. And, and someone <laughs> says, you ready? And he's like, of course, let's go make $30 million. Oh, yeah. Which makes no that. sense. Like, that kind of line is supposed to mean something in the context of the film. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just filler. There was no reason for that. Oh, you forget that a lot of this movie is filler. That had to be an inside joke with the creators somewhere. So then he walks into this meeting, falls flat on his face on this glass table, and there was a really bad jump cut to his face smacking on the yeah. table from underneath the table because it's a glass table. And... It was really bad and funny, which wasn't what they were trying to achieve. And then, weren't they in Boston? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, in, they're Boston, in Boston. Which was probably actually Vancouver. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But it was said to be Boston. And people were just dying. I mean, we're going pretty slow here, but pretty, pretty much Aaron Eckhart gets called into this situation. And they're like, look, all these people died. What's going on? Oh, even weirder than that, though, is the way that they bring him in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is, they interrupt like a, a professor at U Chicago. Yeah, they interrupt like a lecture that he's giving. You couldn't make a more stereotypical <laughs> pair of government agents than these two. It's like if you asked a if you asked a paranoid person who's afraid of the government <laughs> what government agents would act like, and that would be these two. He says like, "What's this all about?" They say like, "Your clearance is above ours," and he's like, "I have clearance," and then yeah. they're like, "We're taking you to the plane now." He's like, "I have a plane." It, it's the dialogue also, was really bad. Yeah. He's brought in to somewhere. I forget where. DC. Is it D.C.? Yeah. For some reason, they've moved all the bodies to D.C. From Boston. Which would be really insensitive to all the oh, yeah. grieving families. It's like someone dies. Trying like, to cope with this instant The government agents just come in and steal their body. <laughs> take it to D.C. I didn't think about that. Um, Man, I just mindlessly accepted this film oh, and the man. world in which it existed. To help him figure out what happened to these people. The government has also brought in his good friend, Serge... Stereotypical Russian professor. Who is... Not only is he a stereotypical Russian, it's like he chose between either acting or doing an accent in every scene. <laughs> it's like when he's doing the, the accent, it's like he's trying to be a bad actor. It's like that's all he can focus on. But then on. when his accent kind of fades, then he becomes a more realistic actor. Yeah. But he becomes less Russian. So they come in and they help identify that it's like pacemakers or something. Yeah. He, well, it was weird that they even brought them in because they already knew what yeah, it was. Yeah, they knew the answer. Why did they bring these people in and just send them away? 
I actually have no clue. It was just for audience exposition, yeah. I suppose. So what they explained to these people dying is that there's somehow an EMP has resulted because of reasons. And that EMP has shorted out all of their pacemakers, which kills them instantly, somehow. They pacemakers, all died instantly. Pacemakers are directly keeping you alive. And if your pacemaker turns off, then you die instantly. As you know. Is that not true? I, have no, I don't believe I have that's no true. Clue. I don't believe that's true. But I don't know enough to confidently say that that's not true. Which I think is the goal the of the filmmakers of the movie. in yeah. every single area. Oh, it is. They, Absolutely. They think the viewer will think, I don't think this is true, but I don't know enough <laughs> to be able to be confident in that. Before we go any further, let's just say that this movie is a lot like The Martian or Interstellar. If the writer <laughs> had decided... I don't have to do any research. I don't need to consult anyone. I, I could, know what's right. I could probably just fudge it. And I've never taken any science classes. I bet that people will buy it. Oh, yeah. That's the operating assumption of the entire film. Moving on. Then then uh, they go to Stanley Tucci, who very clearly oh, doesn't no, want to no, die. No, no, you're skipping the uh, spaceship crash. Well, whatever. There's a whole sequence where the, one of the space shuttles is in orbit... And then spins around, and somehow that causes it to deorbit. Which was badly animated as well. Oh, the whole sequence. I don't even want to have to reiterate really... every time that it was badly animated. Everything was badly animated. If something was not poorly animated, we will tell you. We'll mention that. We will mention yeah. that. And I want to say right now, we are not going to mention that. <laughs> That's not going to Wait, single... wasn't there one time? I thought there was one time that we thought it was decent. Nope. I'm like. There was just that one moment of the movie that was good. There was a moment. Yeah, there was one moment with, in the movie. With that, Stanley Tucci, right? That, yeah, that we'll we, get we, to. We looked to each other and said, that was good. That was good, yeah. Good they, job there. They crash land a space shuttle in a canal in L.A., was it? Yeah. For some reason, this is the best choice. Too, too many convenient Oh, did we events. skip the birds? Yeah. Oh, the okay. birds are there, great. There was this one hilarious uh, The Birds remake for like way too long there was like a really long action scene that was just trying to communicate that birds were also going haywire flying into people yeah. and like a series of car crashes including a double-decker bus because this was in london and there was some cam footage like some some like found footage on someone's 2003 oh. digital camera which was really bad and lasted like 10 seconds oh and they and kept was cutting unwatchable. it. was Yeah, it was cutting weirdly in the middle. Yeah. But they thought you wouldn't notice because it was blurry. We noticed. We've done this. Yeah, we have. <laughs> we noticed. Yeah. The thing that really bothers me about the whole bird sequence. First of all, the, the pacemaker sequence makes no sense because the, <laughs> the Earth's magnetic field wouldn't create an electromagnetic pulse. The bird thing is a different problem. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of how birds work. <laughs> It's, so they say, why are these birds running into walls and killing themselves and like attacking people and going through windows of cars and causing this big action scene and causing right. a bus to flip over? The main character goes, how do birds navigate? And someone says, with their eyes? And it should have ended right there. That should have been the correct answer is, yes, birds avoid obstacles if they can see the obstacles. But then he's like, no, what about long distance because this is somehow long-distance navigation. And they say, oh, they use the magnetic field. He's like, oh, correct. Somehow, the Earth's magnetic field changing causes birds to just 
go blind or something and only follow the magnetic field. But also that makes them fly randomly, like the magnetic field is different for each one. True, because they weren't all flying at the same thing. No, they were just... They were just flying in any direction. Yeah. Oh. It's treating birds like weather. And in fact, even use the term bird storm. There have been bird storms yeah, and then they, in Japan. And then they and mentioned Australia. In Australia. They mentioned, yeah. and this has already happened twice this month. Yeah. Which seemed concerning. Why haven't they heard that, about it? They weren't mentioning that earlier. Stanley Tucci comes in and Aaron Eckhart goes up to him and he's like, hey, I need your help with this. Stanley Tucci's like, oh yes, you can have my autograph. And he's like, no, 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 it's much more important than that. We need to save the world. And he's like, young man, do you know who I am? Which is his favorite line for the first oh, 30 yeah. minutes of the movie's do you know who I am? I hardly have time for this. I have the White House in an hour, which is my new favorite way to leave conversations. <laughs> and then he's like, these calculations can't possibly be correct. The Earth can't be ending. I would have noticed. I'm just too good. So then he's like, wait, you're right. So then they go present this to, like, the unnamed board of seemingly military men. I guess military like, people, like yeah. generals. They're all wearing, like, pins and medals. <laughs> and they explain this very... Easy to explain concept to them, <laughs> like they're five. This is what the Earth is. And they say, the core has stopped spinning, and within a year, everyone's dead. Sooner than that, everyone's screwed. Within, like, six months, things are going to get really bad. We're going to go back to the Stone Age. Within a year, we're all dead. Right. Solar waves are going to wipe us all out. It's going to get hot. Then it's going to get freezing. Somehow, these military people don't understand this. And it was given in that simple of languages... The first thing he says is, everyone's going to die in a year, right. right? But somehow they don't understand this well enough, so he has to have someone go out and get air freshener, was it? He gets a lighter, and he says, let me explain it to you like this. Within a year, the earth, and he's holding up an apple, and he sprays the air freshener and lights the apple on fire. Like a flamethrower. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow the military <clears throat> doesn't understand things if it's not put into elaborate... <laughs> Special effects demonstrations in front of them of burning fruit. General guy says, well, how can we fix it? And Aaron is like, you can't. We're doomed. <laughs> and then Stanley Tucci says, but what if we could? And then it cuts to some scientist that Stanley Tucci knows who has figured out a way to make rock disappear with this laser. Oh, man, that laser. Be because he, he said something like, you know, the furthest down we've ever drilled was seven miles like we, there's no way we could get to the core well they go to this scientist who has built who has made something there's several things this scientist is the most significant scientific inventor in the last several hundred years at least because he's invented separately a bunch of really significant discoveries and he has right. no funding really nobody he's just like in his garage or something the first thing that he invented is this laser. Which he finally got working. <laughs> so what this laser is, is it's a ring of green lasers. Picture just a circle made out of individual smaller circles, each of which is a laser. And that ring rotates and spins really fast. And they give RPM at some point. They're like, oh, it's up to like 100 RPM. And Wait, it's way more than that. Oh, yeah, it's probably like 1,000 RPM. Or <laughs> it's probably more whatever. than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's probably way more than that. That's true. Oh, it's 10 RPM now. It's spinning... <laughs> Spinning very fast. It's rotating very slowly. <laughs> uh, and they point it at rock, and they turn it on, and it cuts a hole through the rock. A perfect cylindrical hole. In this mountainside, through to the other side of the mountain. What immediately, immediately makes absolutely no sense is that the lasers just form the perimeter of the circle, but somehow all of this rock isn't melted. It just disappears. 
It disappears matter. It vaporizes rock to the point where it's nothing. <laughs> but it's not even ash. It's not even ash. There's no just rock gone. left. They just turn it into a completely different material, yeah. which is air. They just replace the rock with air with this laser. But then beyond that, the scientist who is the best scientist in the world, apparently, or engineer at least, would I think stand if he had done these things, he would be the best. Oh, yeah. Scientist, yeah, the best definitely. thinker in the world. Yeah. So he's built this laser that can cut through everything. So then the next thing he builds is something that the laser cannot cut through. Which he says the the real name has a... Is, 17 name, syllables. No, it, it's like 27 Oh, 27 syllables. syllables. I just like to call it unobtainium. So hard to get him. <laughs> can hardly find idiom. How do you make idiom? Did <laughs> you say, how do you make idiom? How do you make idiom? <laughs> That's good. Oh, and he's also invented some spacesuits <laughs> that are super heat resistant. Up to 5,000 5, degrees. Degrees. They never said using... what that is. If it's Kelvin or... I assume it's Fahrenheit because everything in this movie was in, American was in right. weird units. It's like they're there's, always using pounds. But science doesn't use it was units. It was like miles. Miles. They pounds. were measuring miles when they were traveling. Uh... Inches. Yeah, inches and miles and pounds. Gallons. Bushels. They used bushels. <laughs> <laughs> they did have, they did have how many, straw. How many suits do you have? A whole bushel. They did have straw. Yes. For some reason. Maybe they measured that straw in bushels. Maybe in bales of hay. Bales of hay, yeah. One millionth a bale of hay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're walking through the laboratory in this warehouse. And he's saying, I should have this science perfected in uh, 10, 15 years. And they say, what would it take to get it done in three months? And he says, $50 billion. <laughs> <laughs> to which the general says, will you take a check? That's from the trailer, which I remembered wow. as we watched it. Man. Okay, I want to point out something here, too. Science does not work like this. You can't just, <laughs> you can't just throw, throw more money, money at the problem and it won't just... Sometimes you so can. You can throw. You, you can, can to a degree. You can to a degree, but you can't to this level. You can't just speed up research by paying the researchers more money. If you double their money, they'll finish it in half the time. Not necessarily, my friends. Yeah. So then they bring in this guy who's like the ultimate hacker. Oh, that guy. There's <laughs> oh, a really funny scene which we'll link below where he says. Also, this movie's available on Netflix if you oh, want to watch it. Yeah. Uh, he, you don't have to pay to see this movie, assuming you pay for Netflix. <laughs> you don't have to pay for it individually. Oh, man. I don't even know where to begin with this guy. He's this noticeably oh. unattractive actor who they've cast oh. as, like, stereotypical nerd who they bring in because they want to keep all, like... They didn't need to do this, by they the didn't way. Need <laughs> they didn't at all. They, <laughs> More they, brought, they brought him in to keep all <laughs> bad talk of the magnetic field deteriorating off the internet. They he, want him to universally censor the internet. So he says, you want me to hack the planet? <laughs> Which is why the subtitle of this bonus episode is Hack the Planet. This is probably in the clip. It's pretty good. I'm going to try to do it justice here. He says, I can hack anything, anywhere, anytime, any country. And they're like, how about the internet? He's like, you're dreaming. No one owns the net. <laughs> and then they say, we want you to try. Oh. So he's like, you want me to hack the planet? 
and then as he's doing this, he's taking Aaron Eckhart's phone and he's he like uses a gum wrapper and makes a noise with it, and then says, oh. "Now you've got free long distance for life." Okay, and tosses his phone back. To- I do want to say this stupid interaction that he has with this gum wrapper and this phone is naively based on a real thing, which is interesting. Back in, I think it was the 90s, because of the way that telephone connections work, if you were authorized to use a line, it would play a specific combination of tones. The reason that each button, when you press it on a telephone, Mm -hmm. makes that weird noise is because that's multiple tones at once, because they assume that humans can't create that sound by accident. Mm-hmm. So you won't accidentally dial someone by talking into the phone. Right. It turns out that the authorization, or at least somehow this worked, I think it was the authorization tone, was very similar to the tone created by a whistle that came in a Captain Crunch box of cereal. Oh, no. And so people figured this out. And they figured out that you could get, I think it was phone, it might have been internet access or something, you could get access to this by blowing through a Captain Crunch whistle. However... That system, it no longer works like that. Well, this was 2003. It didn't work like that in 2003 either. So save your money. Don't go out and buy a box of Cap'n Crunch. (laughs) You'll have to link that below. I I, I want to see the facts. Yeah. Zach's. We should probably start flying through the movie here. Oh, yeah. We should spend a lot of time on the terrible buildup. The buildup is maybe the worst part of the movie because the rest of it is just consistently wrong in, like, one way. Yeah, it's just, like, hinging on the already bad setup. Yeah. Then they build this uh, this machine, this big worm, this to go down into the core. Worm thing. So they go down to Mariana's trench and just start shooting into the core, right? Yeah. And then from then on, oh, they can also see where they're going because the main character guy built this machine that can see through anything, which is amazing. Which is incredible. There's a series of unrealistic inventions that just so happen to all coincide with the world ending on its, it's own. It's like they thought, how can we? make a movie where people go to the core first problem is well well you you can't really get there because (laughs) you have to go through the crust well what if we make a magical laser that can cut through the crust well you can't really get there because of the high pressure well what if we make a magical material oh the property of unobtainium is that it can withstand any pressure like the more pressure applied to it stronger the stronger it gets somehow so what if we make a magical material that can withstand that pressure well well, you won't really be able to see where you're going. Well, what if we make a magical vision thing that lets you see through any object? <laughs> Thank you for calling it a magical vision thing. Yeah. Do I'm... you think that that's how people used to look at bifocals? <laughs> magical vision thing. <laughs> They're like, I don't know what the magical vision thing is. Maybe telescopes. <laughs> Can't do. Yeah. Periscopes especially. Like, so you're saying someone's in a submarine. Get that out of here, like... you sorceress. <laughs> Oh, or sorcerer. With this vision thing, too. The only way that it could possibly see through this thing, because it says that it can see through, like, a feet of lead. Because, once again, they're using feet. And <laughs> and he's seeing through this. It's like, that's three feet of lead. Yeah, the only way that we can see through things is... I see where you're going with it. Is by sending, and sending signal through it and then having it bounce back. So that can be an X-ray, which is what X-ray machines do use, right? It can be neutrons, You're weirdly. You're blowing my mind right, right now. It can be various things, pretty much all of which are stopped by lead, which is why they're using lead. If you were to create something powerful enough that sends so many of those particles, whatever they are, <laughs> that they can get through lead. They have high enough energy or there are so many of them they can get through lead. 
than anyone who gets hit by this thing. Not only would it probably melt the lead, because it still probably wouldn't get through, you'd just be sending a bunch of energy at the lead. But if it somehow gets through, anyone who gets hit by this thing is immediately irradiated with way over a lethal dose. Deadly amount of radiation. So they show this system being used to see through lead and then... uh, well they're, well, they're explaining it. A guy just walks by, and they show him being seen through this. And he's immediately dead. It's really he's, funny while we're watching, because that, just, just that guy just got a deadly dose of radiation. Yeah, he's, he's dead immediately. Later on in the movie, it's used to see through whales. <laughs> <laughs> so that would have been really bad. So they're like irradiating whales. Oh, no. From this point on, once they're inside the mantle, it really breaks down into a horror movie style charade of who's gonna die next and in what fantastic way they just start killing off the characters one by one so they start out with a five-person team i think so yeah it's like a final destination movie one gal four guys they get out in this giant crystal cave and they're about to get back in then pike gets burned through the helmet with a shard of lava somehow deep in the mantle is a giant geode which contains amethyst crystals that are gigantic as well they crash into it and then land inside of this geode which they explain of like being protected by cobalt or something like mm-hmm. oh it's got cobalt on it so it's fine and then <laughs> makes sense they get stuck on a crystal because their laser somehow doesn't work if crystals are touching it so they got to move the crystal so luckily they all brought spacesuits that they can walk around outside in the high pressure and high heat even though there was never an incentive in this entire planning phase of going outside of the ship. Right. They specifically mentioned that they didn't design the ship in such a way that you could easily leave it, but they do all the time. Right? This whole sequence is then just yeah. leaving the ship. Just and to like look at the scenery, too. To look too. at the scenery, and they then they bring out a laser cutter that they can use to cut the crystal, which they have as well for some reason. Why did they have a laser cutter? I don't know. They didn't plan on this. Yeah. Right. So then... Captain Pike dies. They move on. He gets hit by a crystal. Hillary Swank is now the captain. Right. Look at me. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain. <laughs> Say that five times in a row. You can't just do one try at oh, that yeah. line. So then they move on, and they're going through this diamond <laughs> belt. Let's, let's not get into any of these too much. Let's just explain them. They're quickly. giant diamonds. One of them scratches one of the back sections of the ship. Mm-hmm. So it's breached. They have to go back and shut Luckily, stuff down. Luckily, the very last section. Yeah. Otherwise, there'd be problems. Of this, like, snake of a ship. So they went to separate it, and the Russian guy gets trapped in there. Since it breaks off from the ship, it is crushed in the pressure. Somehow? And he's just crushed. That's two down. And there's four people left. I forget. Something else goes wrong. So then they have to draw straws for who's going to go and, and <sighs> detach that one. And to do it, you have to go out into this 9,000-degree section of the ship so he does and he's melting on his walk and it's the engineer guy yeah the engineer guy so he goes out there and there's kind of a titanic moment of like it's my ship if it needs more blood it should be my blood actually like one of the better yeah yeah sentiments of the movie i mean he was one of the more likable characters yeah absolutely his inventions were not physically possible and made no sense but his character did engineer guy walks through the extreme heat is dying but gets that part off the ship they have to separate again there's some problems with the atomic bombs they're taking to the core to restart it's turning the initial plan was just to put a bunch of nukes in one spot in the core and then that would be good enough and that would restart the earth somehow 
Then they discovered that the core was less dense than they thought. So they have to do a ripple effect. We need to do this ripple effect by spreading out the nukes, but the nukes need to be in one compartment each. So luckily we only lost one compartment, otherwise this plan would not work. So that's why they had to separate the other compartments. Yeah. So then Stanley Tucci accidentally gets left in one of them. His leg gets crushed yeah, he, by a he nuke. he gets caught and Aaron Eckhart has to get out. You know, him being the one who really didn't want to die is going to have to face death. Mm -hmm. So... The entire time since he's very famous and it has like two book deals coming out of this. Yeah. He... Even though it was all going to be secret somehow. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it probably wasn't going to be after they yeah. saved it if they had all made it back. But somehow, even though the mission was just go in this ship, which is completely safe into the core and then come back, almost everyone dies. Yeah. Because it's a horror film. <laughs> he starts talking into his tape recorder and he's been talking into this tape recorder the whole time being like very... Uh, narcissistic and just saying stuff into it that's really like pseudo deep he's still talking into it and he's on this tiny pod with a nuke out here in the great unknown a man can truly know one thing himself and then he's like what the f am i doing he starts laughing and then it shows that the bomb's about to explode, and then it's just like, and the bomb explodes. And Zach and I looked at each other, and we said, that was a good moment. That was, yeah. That, that was the best part of the movie. They And I remembered that moment from when I saw the movie. I, I like remember that too, yeah. I think it's because it was the F word. Yeah. So uh, then the main characters ride their plot armor to safety. It seemed to me like they got to that point when they're writing this story, and they thought, we are out of options. How do we get them out of there? <laughs> And I said, we need them to have power. Well, how do we get power? Well, we already removed the nuclear reactor. Well, the unobtainium is pretty convenient. What if we just give a new property to the unobtainium? What if it just does something else, too? It's a new thing. And so it is. Hillary Swank and Aaron Eckhart get saved from the bottom of the ocean, somewhere near Hawaii. They're saved by the whales. I don't know. I remember what it was. They use some, like, low-frequency sound thing to call in the whales. Oh, yeah, also the final credit sequence. Oh, yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah. First of all, they reveal that the military wants to hide this whole thing. So hacker Superman guy goes into a net cafe. He somehow has a bunch of secret information, which he puts on the table for no reason. Like he takes out these folders that say <laughs> secret on them, puts them on the table, and then releases their information on the internet. By the way, in movies, whenever files, physical files, are secretive... The manila envelope that they're in will say top secret. Just big letters. like Because that's how secret. real secrets are kept. He's in envelopes. And for some in reason, the hacker guy has physical secret. copies of the secret materials. Uh, of like the records of this happening. And brings them with him, but doesn't do anything with them because he has digital copies of it. And all these new stories start happening about the heroes who saved the world. Right. And then begins the second intro <laughs> credit sequence. Because it seems like they made two intro credit sequences for this movie. <laughs> and then couldn't decide which one to put where. So they decided on one for the beginning and just used the other one at the end. Which is, again, playing with this terrible music. And the way that I described the score... We said we'd get back to this. The oh, way yeah, that yeah. I described the score was as if this... Well, Zach said it's as if one audio engineer, like, I guess composer probably made all the sounds on his laptop like made all the music and then i expanded on that saying it's like he made them all and took them to the filmmakers and and was like 
So these are the demos. I'm going to go in with the orchestra and actually record all these. This is the bones of it. Yeah. Something like this, it, but with like more instruments and you know more depth. It, it's like the filmmaker said, you know, we actually spent the score budget <laughs> somewhere else. Oh, that fancy credit sequence. This is going to work. We're going to use this. Actually, this is perfect how it is. And it's as if the composer was like, no, really, I can make it better. Is it? No, 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 no. This is perfect. This would be a lot funnier if you had listened to the music. Yeah. So maybe do go watch the movie. Maybe I could like put one of the tracks low right where we're talking right about now. this. Yeah. Yeah, like, right now, I'll have one of the tracks that's, quietly. That's brilliant. Yeah. Probably the one from when they were trying to land the spacecraft. Oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> They're all bad. Yeah. It's They're especially, all bad. Oh, and the credit song. The credit song. <laughs> For the budget that this movie had, it's awful. It's awful. Huge budget. Terrible movie. This is probably the most scientifically inaccurate film I have and ever seen. It's one of just the worst movies. Just bad in like every way. I say that and I've seen Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. <laughs> I've seen and that I would too. That is more scientifically accurate than this. I had more fun watching The Room than watching... I, I have more fun watching The Room every time than That's watching true. Yeah, you know. I would give this movie a 3 out of 10. It's not great. It's bad in every way that you predict it to be bad, and somehow more. Like, I see this movie about people going to the center of the earth, and I think, okay, the science of this is going to be terrible. Right. right. I didn't expect a terrible score, and I didn't expect to have accents coming in and out throughout the movie. We also grazed over the part where the Roman Colosseum explodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there, there is a clip below. <laughs> Which is the explosion of the Roman Coliseum. I already forgot about that, That's but bonus that is material. so absurd. Yeah, I don't even want to get into that. Anyway, oh. let's start talking about science. Okay. Since we, we've already talked about let's a lot talk of science. about real science. So, so I want to talk about something that's just like goofy. Like, I'm trying to think of something that's just like so trivial compared to this. Like why Velcro wears out over time. Velcro is like small hooks. Okay. Velcro was actually invented by a guy who found a burr, like a plant seed that sticks into you, and got one of those stuck on like his pants or his socks or something. It's <laughs> brilliant. And he thought, that's a really... You mean like cheat grass? Like cheat, well, sort of, but they're burrs and they have little hooks on them, right? They're... Like barbs? Uh, no, no, it's, it's like a rounded hook. Oh, okay. So what it does is it hooks into the fur of an animal, right? Mm -hmm. And then that animal will carry it around and then it'll fall off later and the seeds will spread. Right. And so this happened to this guy and it's stuck in his, like, his, his clothes or something. And he noticed this and he took it and he looked closer at it and that's how he invented Velcro. Is he thought, what if I take this little hook idea, put a bunch of them in a row and then I can make a thing that... A ton of tiny loops. Uh, yeah, make a lot of little loops and a lot of little hooks and put them together and then you'll get a temporary but pretty stable connection. When you tear Velcro off, is that ripping a bunch of the little loops? Because the hooks are made out of like a bendable material, mm -hmm. the hooks are being pulled and bent kind of flat and then they just come out of the loops. Okay. Right? But sometimes are you tearing the loops? I'm sure some of them tear. Is that why over time just it thousands. Wears out? Over time that, but most of it I would say probably would be that you're bending the hooks. So the hooks are no longer as hook shaped. They're more straight. So they wouldn't connect as well. They wouldn't go through the loops as well. Mm. So they come kind of straight out. Well, that is an extremely trivial. Oh, yeah. Why does this happen? Were you just looking around and did you see Velcro somewhere? I didn't. I was just thinking okay. about it. So what else? Um, what else? It's three o'clock in the morning. It's three o'clock, but I feel like we should have some sort of second part of this, which we usually do.
Oh, you know what? I can tell one of the weird weapon stories. So you this, have less than five minutes. So this is completely unrelated, but it's a cool story nonetheless. So there's a British division of research during World War II called the Department of Miscellaneous Weapons Development. And the people there came to be known as the Weezers and the Dodgers. They were tasked with various strange projects throughout the war by the British. And one of these projects that they were involved in was that in occupied France, there were a few dams that were captured by the Germans. And the British concluded that if they could bust these dams, they could ruin some roads and some infrastructure and make it just harder for the Germans and might even take out some German camps or whatever. The simple solution would be to just bomb it. But that doesn't work because of the design of the dam, where the outside of the dam is strong. So if you drop a bomb straight onto the dam, that's not really going to do anything. So the weak point of the dam is underwater on the water side of the dam, pretty far down. And the normal solution to that would be to just drop a torpedo and have the torpedo go through the ground, through the water. Through the ground? Not through the ground. Have through the ground torpedoes? That's like that's from like the, the core. core. No, no, this is a water torpedo. This one doesn't have a laser on it or anything. Just call it a water torpedo. Yeah, okay. But the Germans have put up torpedo nets, which are just nets that torpedoes will run into. So the British were faced with this problem of how do we destroy this dam without torpedoes? So the solution they came up with was called a bouncing bomb. So picture a barrel, like a cylinder. And what they would do is they would hook that to a plane, in a specially designed contraption thing, and start spinning it backwards against the direction that they were going. Fly low over the water, and then they'd drop it while it's still spinning backwards. And it would bounce across the water, it would skip across the water like a rock, and then it would eventually make it to the dam, hit the dam, and then because it's spinning backwards, it would roll downward, down deep to where it would do more damage, it would be more effective. And then because of a pressure sensor, it would explode. And this is how they destroyed these dams. And I'll put in the links, like a video of test runs of this. And they were able to burst multiple dams with this. However, one of the planes that had this bomb on it crashed and was recovered by the Germans. Oh, so they figured out the Germ how to do it. The Germans found this and they thought, this is some experimental weapon. So they started building their own and testing it. However, what they didn't figure out was they didn't figure out that you had to spin it backwards. So what they were doing, and they knew that, that it was meant to skip and hit the dam and blow up. So what they would do is they would fly, they would hook one of these onto their own type of bomber and fly low over the water to test it and drop it. And it would skip along the water, but because it wasn't spinning, it would just hit the top of the dam and explode, which is useless. But even worse than that, the other function of it spinning... Wait, that wouldn't, that wouldn't destroy the... No, because if you just bomb the top of the dam, mm -hmm. right, maybe a little bit of water will come over the top, but that can be repaired. To burst the dam, you need to burst the part where the water is has higher pressure and where it can lead to it. Oh, okay, so it's a pressure thing. Not only did it just explode on top of the dam, but the other function of it spinning backwards was that it would slow it down while it was skipping across the water. So instead of having it slow down and giving the plane time to pull up, oh no. this barrel would bounce in line with the plane and would explode right under the plane because the plane would not have enough time to take off and to move upward. The Germans found this weapon that the British had made and thought, this is the most useless, most dangerous weapon. Why would they do this? Why are we doing this? And they canceled the project. So there's a bunch of these, and they're all fascinating. And we could we could do a whole section on them later, but it's, it's late now. It's so, 3 in the morning now. It is 3 in the morning. 
There is no one in this lounge. No one has been in this <laughs> There's lounge. No one in this city. That door is still open, but luckily no one came in. That's that. This has been a special episode of Tallcast. What is this, episode five? Sixth episode recorded, but alas, the lost episode. You will never be able to experience the wonder and excellence of that episode. Tragedy. Tragedy struck. Tragedy strikes the hearts of men. Not unlike lightning strikes. It was as if our lost episode of the podcast was the Colosseum. And tragedy was multiple lightning strikes. And you know what happens when lightning strikes the Colosseum. Check the links below.